Welcome to the Reset Podcast with Kirk Elliott, PhD, where every week we integrate politics, economics, and legislation that will impact your investment portfolios and lives. In doing this, we can reset our expectations so we can invest with wisdom, discernment, and confidence. Sit back, listen, and learn as we go on the journey of navigating through the economic jungle together. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to our weekly update with Dr. Kirk Elliott. We actually are weekly this time, which is amazing. And Kirk, right out of the gate, let's go straight for the jugular. Housing. My mortgage is just exploding. The rate's going up. I'm one of those idiots who's got a balloon mortgage, and I've gone from 3800 to over 5000 and and now it's going up again a couple more percent. Well, you know, this is this is a problem. You're not an idiot. I mean, th- there's so many people in the country that are in the exact same situation that you're in. I mean, countless hundreds of thousands of mortgages, right? So, but here's the here's the economic implication of this. Obviously, it impacts you on a personal level just like it does everybody else, right? So, so the way that adjustable rate mortgages work is they're always lower than the prevailing like 30-year, 15-year rate, right? So you get a lower rate for a while, and then after five years or 10 years, it balloons. You have to pay it all off or refinance it for something different, right? So, so the problem is in, in a declining interest rate world that we've had since 1983 until about 10 months ago, those are actually mm-hmm. quite fine, right? Because you get an artificially low rate. And then when the balloon payment came up and you had the, you were forced to, hey, do we, do we just pay it off or do we refinance? People would refinance and generally at a lower rate than what they had before. So from a cash flow yeah, perspective, nice. yeah. And if you did it right, it's like you kept getting lower payments. You could invest differently. I mean, a lot, for a lot of people, that was an investment strategy. Keep your payments low, invest the difference, right? So, but now in a rising interest rate environment, it's truly bad. And now, what you're like experiencing personally, hundreds of thousands of people all over the country experiencing the same thing. It's like, crud, my, my, my arm just expired. I either have to pay it off and we can't find a bank that will give us a loan because they've run out of capital um, or, or, you know, refinance it. But the refinancing rates are generally triple where they were before, right. you know, even a year ago. It's like, what did people do? I mean, what if you were used to a $2,000 a month payment and it tripled and now you've got $6,000 a month. It's like, Oh, so deflating. Right. So, so here's where this is all kind of a function of, of Biden's economic plan for America. It it truly, truly is. So if you look at this, um, there's a chart that this isn't a new thing. This started decades ago, right? It's, it's kind of where stimulus started because stimulus money is the reason why we have inflation. Stimulus money is the reason why interest rates are going up, right? Because you have to raise interest rates to slow down inflation. This is just what the Fed does, right? So other way to slow down inflation is just don't print money anymore. Well, good grief, Lord, they're not going to do that. They're not going to stop printing money because it's the only thing keeping the economy afloat. So option B is we got to raise interest rates to slow it down. It's like, oof. What's that going to impact? Everything, literally everything. 
because it'll impact mortgages. It impacts the bond market. It impacts the stock market because people invest out of their extra, right? That's sure. they, they have extra And if money. you don't well, have any extra, there's no investment. No. And already people were living at the margin for a long time, you know, for years and oh, years yeah. and years. And now when interest rates go up or like your adjustable rate mortgage doubles or triples, it's like there is no margin. Actually, we have no, less we, than we margin. We went into shock. Kurt. Yeah. I mean, we went into shock, which is pretty much, you know, what it's like going to the grocery store these days. I mean, it's in all directions, you know. And so, I mean, I just I can't imagine uh, what it's like for all of the families out there. I mean, this is catastrophic. Yeah, it's it's huge. So so there's this chart that we can show on the screen from from Fred Fred is the Federal Reserve education kind of arm. So every Federal Reserve bank around the country focuses on something, um, you know, important to them, right? So, so this is the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, you know, like they, they focus on interest rates um, and inflation. The one in Atlanta focuses on gross domestic product, right? So, so here's where the, what I want to say is this didn't just start, right? You go back to the early, mm, 1990s, right? So this is a long time ago. You know, the, the started the the stimulus money started back then in the late 90s, but to a, a smaller extent, because obviously there wasn't as much money back then, there wasn't as much debt. Then you get the dot-com bubble. What was the Federal Reserve's action? Boy, this dot-com bubble, it took 80% loss, you know, in the in the tech stock market, and it took people nine years to recover from that. 80% loss, right? So what did they do? They lowered interest rates from six and a half to 1% to try to stimulate the economy, encourage people to borrow, get the economy cooking, right? So, yeah. so then that stimulus money did what? That stimulus money by and large made its way into the real estate market, which is why we had the, the real estate market subprime lending collapse in 2008, right? So, so then you look at this chart on 2008, Boom. They lowered rates from six and a half to one in like the early 2000s. And then they raised, lowered it to 0.16%. Really, interest rates are like at zero. Have been until about 11 months ago when they started jacking them up again, right? So look at that, all that stimulus money, all of that, that basically mechanisms, lowering interest rates to get people to borrow, printing money like there's no tomorrow. The blue line on that chart is the housing price index. So you look at what's happened, right? So this is the, the kiss of death for the, for the real estate market. Because when you look back at that chart, it started at like 50 was the index number. Today, it's like 300. So that's up a, a multiplier of six times, a six-fold multiplier on housing prices between the late 1990s and today. That's massive growth. That's absolutely massive, right? And, and it's a function of money being printed and not a function of people's wages going up, right? Because here, here's an example. If your wages would go up with that same exact line that the housing prices did, you wouldn't know that housing prices were more expensive. You wouldn't care because your wages were keeping up with the exact rate of the housing price increase. But look at this next chart. Look what's happened. So, so wages are the blue line. The price of average price for rent 
is the red line. It's like people are being squeezed out. There's no way that wages are keeping up with rent. So here's the problem. We have to ask the question, why are rent prices going up? Rent prices are going up because people can't afford to buy houses because the price of the houses have gone so high. So therefore, not everybody in America can live under a bridge, right? We've got to buy a house. Uh, we can't buy a house. So let's not live under a bridge. Let's rent instead. So now the, the availability of rentals is at an all-time low. The price is at an all-time high. So not only is the affordability of housing gone to the toilet, the affordability of rentals. Wages aren't even keeping up with rentals, right? So, so this is a problem of the world we're living in. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. This is going to be detrimental in a huge way to the, to the economy because what happens here across the country when people are faced with the same thing that you're at, it's like, what if they can't afford the 9.5% mortgage? They're just going to default. Banks don't have money already. Now they're going to get all these yeah. houses you know, put back in their inventory because people are defaulting on their loans. Well, that's ugly. So what if then yeah. the banks... And you know, Kirk, you know what there is money for is what we're seeing here in our small town in Texas and all across the small towns in every direction is we're seeing these housing projects coming in that are funded by federal money that are still providing rentals, right, that are unaffordable. So we have a major problem here in our town with affordable housing. So we're told, oh, well, you know, here come in all these developers and they're building these, I mean, basically ghettos. And, uh, and yet it's not fixing the housing problem because you've got a tiny, tiny little one bedroom, you know, for a family of five and it's costing a, a minimum of a thousand dollars a month, a thousand plus a month and people can't afford it. So why are these developers getting government money and what exactly is it that they're building and who exactly is it for? Because you got to ask, is the government going to be moving people in there? You know, are they going to be moving where you know, people keep asking, where are all the illegal immigrants going uh, from the border? Where are they going? Right. To the streets of New York City and to, you know, towns um, all over Texas and, and all over the country. Is this the government's plan to move them into subsidized, um, you know, rental uh, properties? Because we know that American citizens are not going to get that kind of help. Well, or or what if they do? I mean, what so. I think that it is for them. I mean, even here in Denver, El Paso is shipping up um, illegals by the hundreds. And the Denver City Council said, yeah, let's take them. It's like, what? We don't have space for our own people, really. We don't have enough money for the services for our own people, let alone all of this, right? So, so, but what if, let's play this one out. With central bank digital currency coming, um, they've got to have a carrot. They have to have a shiny thing. They have to offer something to get people to willingly give up their freedoms and their right of privacy and and the ability to buy or sell when they want to because central bank digital currency is programmable money. can cut you off from buying or selling if your ideology doesn't match up with theirs. So what could be a carrot that they dangle out there in front of you to say, hey, this, this is really kind of cool, right? How about universal basic income, you know, or for everybody on Social Security, well, what if what if we just give you this house to live in, right? So then yeah. will you sign and up by so the way, it happens to you for the rest home. of your life, right? I mean, there's something nefarious behind it. I can't put my finger on it. 
I mean, what I said is is kind of a maybe not so far fetched option. Yours seems very plausible. This is going to give people houses in exchange for votes. See, this whole concept. I mean, Kirk, we're talking about a town of you know eleven, twelve thousand people, and we've got eighteen hundred apartments under construction. If you only put two people in each one of those apartments, you would already be increasing this, the population of this town by, you know, that would be covering a third of the population. And, you know, um, and that's without all of the other duplexes yeah. and the other homes and the other assisted living places that are being built, you know, and you, you, you're doing this supposedly because people can't afford to live here, but you're taking government money and you're building apartments where people still can't afford to live. And, you know, one of the things that springs to mind, of course, is 15-minute cities. Because mm -hmm. what are you doing? You're concentrating your population. And interestingly, I saw just yesterday an, a report out that said for the first time ever, uh, rural America is rising in terms of population and urban populations are falling which is the exact opposite, you know, of what the globalists have been pushing because they wanted to herd people mm -hmm. into cities where they could be uh, corralled and controlled, supposedly I mean, the, for the benefit of the environment, right? Supposedly, right. Yeah, I mean, imagine sure. the smog and the pollution in those cities, right? It's, it's going to be insane. It's going to be well, really Well, not if really you don't have any private ownership of cars. If you look at C40 cities, right? Right. The mayor's initiative, where you have no private ownership of cars, no private ownership of land. You agree to only go on one airline flight every three years, and it can't be more than, I think, 1,500 miles, you know, and so on and so on. I mean, these are basically, they're building self-sustaining concentration mm -hmm. camps. And they're calling them 15-minute cities or C40 cities. They're lying to you and pretending it's in the name of the climate, but it's got nothing to do with the climate. No, absolutely, absolutely nothing to do with it. It's all about people control. Because you can control people with your money, with your bank accounts. You can control people by, within proximity, right, which is what these 15-minute cities are all about. It's control, control, control. It's anti-freedom, and it's they're using – clean environment as the carrot to entice everybody into it. It's like, don't you want a clean environment? Like if you say, no, you're evil or you're a villain. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, yeah, of course I care. I, I mean, I'm a conservative. I, I don't want trash in the streets. I don't want my, the river. No. You know, who, the does? who does? Nobody does. So it's a stupid question. But if you say, yeah, I want a clean environment. It's like, okay, well then the only way to get there is to do what we're doing. Clean cities, no, no carbon emissions or anything else like that. Right. But, but that's not it. I want, no, I want a clean environment like anybody else. However, I'm not giving up all of my freedom. I'm not giving up my right to buy or sell. I mean, people think that batteries are so stinking clean. No, they're not. If they were, <laughs> oh, you could on. throw them away in the same garbage can hurt. as everything else. And they won't even let you throw them away in the same garbage can. They're so toxic. Yes, but also, what does it? What do you need to make a battery? You need fossil fuels. I mean, what do you need? You said it once before: the grease that's inside yeah. your vehicle, right? I mean, all of these things are made with fossil fuels. They all depend on fossil fuels. And by the way, CO two is critical for life on Earth. In fact, green spaces on Earth are shrinking without CO two. So is it really the earth that they're concerned about? I mean, obviously not. But you mentioned 
digital currencies. I'm my nemesis, right? I hate digital currencies. I'm starting to hate everything digital. So, okay, we took a giant step forward towards digital currencies for the whole globe um, this week. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the G20 nations are meeting, which G20 nations that, you know, like the 20 largest economies in the world, pretty much. Well, they don't even have us running it, and we're the largest economy in the world, right? India runs the G20 nations. They, they're like the president of it, right? So what did they just announce? They just announced global digital IDs, and they're coming soon, right? So this isn't a new concept, but it's a new concept for the G20 because prior to that, the United Nations, under the Pact for the Future, that was actually written, this research paper was published back in March, said by, by September 15th of 2024, we want global digital IDs biometrically attached to you and your bank account. So the United Nations talked about this back in March and that they actually gave their deadline, March 15th of 2024, right? But then now the G20 nations, another globalist group, right? It's like, all right, this is a lot of the world's population. The wealthy economies of the world are now saying, yep, we're, we want a digital digital ID too that's going to be attached to people's bank accounts. And this is insanity, right? It's complete loss of freedom and control. But But here's why. You know, if you have a digital ID that's biometric to you somehow, whether it's a fingerprint, retinal scan, whatever it is, they know where you travel, what you're spending your money on, who you're giving to, where you're going, what you're doing. I mean, even in our house, right? In, in our house, if, if we just, in Denver, we've got this stupid clean energy bill, right? Where, where you have to have now digital meters, power meters, that are going to be attached to your digital appliances that they can say, hey, Kirk, you're using too much energy between the hours of three and five o'clock. We're going to shut you down or triple your price. We want you to go on the smart meter so we can actually give you energy at night when nobody's awake and they're all sleeping. It's like, what do we need energy then for? Right. I mean, we're all sleeping. Right. So, so, but now what's it all about? It's not doing about saving on energy costs. Why, why would the energy company care? They just want to make more money from us. So why would they care? Because they're in cahoots with the globalists too. It's all about people control which is why your Samsung refrigerator is connected to the internet of things, as is your microwave, your, your, your oven, your dishwasher, your wa clothes washers, your dryers, everything. They know, they're going to know everything about you and have the ability to cut you off of the switch because you're using too much energy, whatever, time of day. Oh, you're, you're, shower, you're taking too many showers. Your showers are too long. You're using the, you know, the maximum setting on the dishwasher. And we don't want you to do that. We want you to do the short one because you're consuming too much water, you know, whatever. What are they saying in California and Texas during the summer? We don't want your air conditioner at above a certain temperature. I mean, basically... I have said for a long time, Kurt, that if you see the word smart on anything, it doesn't mean you. It means making them smarter about how to manipulate and control you. And yeah. I try to warn people and say, right now, you still can choose. It's like right now, you still have your gas car. But when you think about, well, crazy C40 city, you know, I'm not going to give up my ownership of my car. Okay, well, good luck, because there's not going to be any gas stations and they're not going to have any gas, even if they're still there, you know, and then you're going to be, you're going to be fined. You're going to be punished 
for using your car if you're caught on the roads? And how will you be policed? Well, the, the drones, right, they'll be monitoring everything. They'll see if there's a car moving on the road, and they will know from its digital signature if it's one of the allowed cars or not allowed cars. Right. They will monitor how far you go. There'll be something on. We've already got the towers. 5G is already everywhere. You know, there's, there's towers all around you in every direction. It means more towers than they could possibly ever need if all they were doing was just connecting people's cell phones, right? And so uh, what, we're, what we're seeing now is you still have a choice on the digital ID, right? But you're, what are the strings attached to this? Can you go to a foreign country? Um, can you get a visa if you don't have one of these? Probably not. I mean, literally, probably not. I don't think you're going to be able to travel. See, Europe kind of mastered this evilness during COVID, right? With their with their digital COVID passports, right? We we had stupid paper ones in America, um, but I think they're gonna they're gonna put that on there too. Your your health passport's gonna be on there. And since we gave up basically our national sovereignty to the World Health Organization earlier this year, it's like all right, they're gonna be able to determine mask mandates. They're going to be able to determine shelter in place laws. They're going to be able to determine, you know, shutdowns and everything else. So they think, but we've already got a couple of States, Mississippi and Arkansas, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders in in Arkansas said (laughs) COVID, why we're not, we're not going to comply. And the guy in Mississippi, I can't remember the governor's name. He said, there's no way there's COVID 1.0 basically destroyed the livelihood of people in Mississippi we're not going to partake in COVID 2.0. We don't care what the federal mandates are. State mandates are. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to shelter in place. They're already they're already starting to get opposition to this government overreach, which is just terrible, right? And that's all designed, I believe, to really shut down the economy so people will willingly give up their freedoms. COVID 1.0 was a test, Lord. That's my opinion. It was a test to see how much people would give up in the face of a health crisis. How much are people going to give up if they can't afford to feed their kids? Probably even more, right? So you know, you know what's what's weird about this, Kirk? The part that I don't get. I get COVID the first time. People didn't know what they were dealing with. They were trying to be good citizens, trying to do the right thing. But you're going to do the same thing, the same thing. I mean, you've got people, millions of people, right, who are all coming out and saying, I'm not doing it. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not shutting down my business. I'm not staying indoors. We know that none of these things worked. Even the CDC has had to admit that half of this stuff was absolute nonsense. And so I'm not going to comply. And what I don't get is, you know, the perfect move would be to come out with something like an Ebola, right? Where people who said, I won't comply, I'm not doing it. Then they see people, oh, 99.99% of people dying from Ebola, horrific death. Okay, I'm staying inside, give me the mask, right? And so, so they could have done that, but they didn't. They rolled out the same old one-trick pony, and we all know what it is. So they're not that dumb. That means they're either desperate and they don't have a choice, or they have a different objective. I don't think they're dumb. You, you're I don't not, think so either. You're not that effective by being stupid. You're that effective by being evil, quite honestly. I think there's definitely a difference between stupid and being evil. 
And, and I don't think that they're dumb at all. Um, it's a very smart opponent, but you know what? We're smarter because we have truth on our side. So what's the plan then? You know, because they know people are going to resist. I mean, you know, you just have to look um, on social media and you see it in every direction. Well, I, this is going to sound horrible. I think the plan is to, to wipe away population. You know, global population reduction. Um, the, the who's that evil scientist with the World Economic Forum that called everybody on Earth useless eaters? Right? Oh, Yuval um, Noah Harari, the scientific yeah. advisor to Klaus Schwab, who's yeah. also a history professor. Can you imagine being at a college in Israel and having that psycho as your professor? No I way! Mean, I pull my kid out of that school. No, and you, we've seen what vaccines have done. We've seen what what the vaccines that the Gates Foundation has done in in Africa have done to people. Right? It's it's not helping people. It's actually like killing off certain parts of the population, which is just wildly evil to me. Sterilizing young girls all across India, yeah. disabling, crippling young kids in in uh, Africa and Sudan. I mean, are you kidding me? It's just in, it's unbelievable. Well, and and who are these people that have all this control? Non-governmental organizations, companies mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Microsoft, like Amazon, like Google, like all the NVIDIA with artificial intelligence, right? It's these big companies. And so recently, Klaus Schwab with the World Economic Forum made a, a prophetic statement. I wouldn't even necessarily call it prophetic. They, they're basically kind of calling the shots. They're just saying what they're going to do. He said, the new world is not going to be run by countries. The new world is going to be yeah. run by by stakeholders. So here's where it's like, what's a stakeholder? So what, what, does it, what, is, yeah. what does he mean by stakeholder? So he means can, private companies. It means private companies. So we can look what stakeholders means because um, mm-hmm. the United Nations actually uh, in their pact for the future actually defined what stakeholders means. So stakeholders to them is every, their financial institutions, their their non-governmental organizations, their their companies, right? They're everything other than countries. That's guess what, what else, guess what they're not? They're not small businesses, correct? No, <laughs> right. They're, 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 they're the Amazons of the world, yeah. right? Yeah. They're so, they're the elites. That's yeah. who they are. So, according to the UN, who wants to oversee the stakeholders of the world, they define who the stakeholders are: international financial institutions, academics, governments, and private sector actors. So, listen to that list. Stakeholders of the world are governments too. So they're saying we, this non-governmental organization have the control over even governments of the world, right? So so these companies have the ability through basically executive orders that we've written that Biden wrote to actually give our sovereign right as a president to act on behalf of the country to the World Health Organization, which is a company, not a country. It's really interesting that you raise this point because I'm reminded of something General Michael Flynn said to me uh, about two years ago. And he said he he directed me to look back at Obama's statements on this particular issue. And I did. And um, and he said to me, when you when you do that, you'll find Obama repeatedly talking about public private 
partnerships. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, NASA can go to the moon, but they can't get to Mars without the private companies. They can't get there without Bezos and Musk and, you know, and so on. And what he said was that when they say that, they don't mean here's a government, let's make a partnership with a, with a company. They mean private companies, a small number of them controlled by an even smaller number of people that rule the world. And the governments of the world serve those private companies. So when they say, you know, governments are stakeholders, they mean it in the sense that the public, i.e. the masses, should serve them and their interests. And, you know, that's kind of what we've been doing for a very long time, right? Because yeah. because we're the ones paying the taxes and they're the ones getting all the tax breaks. Yeah. See, absolutely. And Klaus Schwab wrote a book about this. The, the exact, I mean, you don't even have to pretend to think what the title means. He just called it stakeholder capitalism, a global economy that works for progress, people, and planet, right? So, so he's the author of the stakeholder capitalism that you're talking about, which is what? It's governments run by private companies. It's this, this new way of, of public-private partnerships focusing on the private part of it, taking power away from the public, from the voting public, and just giving it to um, these, these stakeholders that are not publicly elected officials. This is not a representative form of democracy, right? This is somebody having the power to control the world that nobody ever voted in. I don't know who people just have it because people said, yeah, like Biden said, okay, World World Health Forum president, whoever his name is, we'll give you the power to actually control not just us, but 192 other countries that are actually part of the World Health Organization and under a stated global health pandemic or emergency you can shut people off from opening bank accounts. You can shut people off from traveling. You can institute shelter in, in place laws. You can force mask mandates. You can force vaccinations, right? They think that they can do all of this stuff. Well, people have rights for crying out loud, right? So but this you is- know, where- Kirk, You're right. And what you're actually saying there is you can violate the Nuremberg Code. You can trash- one of the most significant pieces of legislation ever written in the history of humanity, right? That came, went, was meant to address what happened under Joseph Mengele and the Nazis in the Second World War and to say, truly, we'll put in place the protections that can never, ever be touched. And, you know, I never, um, at first I didn't understand when I was attacked for saying on Fox News when they said, oh, you know, Fauci says he's science. If you criticize him, you're criticizing science. And I was asked about that. And I said, well, you know, a lot of people that I speak to don't see Fauci as science. They see him more as Dr. Joseph Mengele. And of course, it was a huge outcry because only the left is is allowed to use Nazis and Hitler and anything to do with Second World War, the Holocaust, for their benefit whenever they like. And you go outside of that, uh uh-uh, no bueno, right? They don't like that. So, um... I had then a few days after that happened, guess what came across the wires was an article that said from the EU president that said it was time for the EU to talk about forced 
vaccine mandates, which would have meant what? It would have meant the end of the Nuremberg Code. And so what I realized was completely accidentally, or I think, you know, by the grace of God, I had walked right into the heart of where their strategy was going. And when you talk about this today, the World Health Organization having that that power, look, um, there she is, the head of the European uh, Union Commission. Time to consider making vaccines mandatory, which means time to get rid of the Nuremberg Code. And let's go back to the days of, you know, of we can force people to do whatever we want. And what's so... Um, What's so incredible uh, about this, Kirk, is that there is, I mean, we have the example of how poorly it went when things were in the hands of the World Health Organization. They covered for China. They lied about everything. They misused funds. And lo and behold, those leaders, I think there were about six, that did stand up to them, like the president of Tanzania, right? Yeah. He was a doctor. He was actually a doctor and he was suspicious. And so he got COVID tests, you know, and he, he wiped an apple and a goat and the table in the boardroom and, and he, and he got positive results on most of them, which is how he knew that this was nonsense. Well, what has happened to all of those leaders? I would encourage people to look up to what's happened to them because the president of Tanzania, who was quite young, considerably, you know, and, and certainly compared to other leaders, he had uh, suddenly had heart issues that he'd never had before. And he's no longer with us, right? No longer with us. So this is what happens. Is this what happens to you when you stand up to these powers? You know, I mean, when you look at, at where we are headed, it's just extraordinary to me that people are still sitting back and saying that you and I, we're the conspiracy theories, right? While they're actually implementing these policies, Joe Biden is committing us and signing us up. And, uh, and these organizations that are packed with unelected bureaucrats and these lunatics like Bill Gates, who's not a scientist and not a doctor, dictating health policy to the world and trying doing experiments to block out the sun. I, uh, so stupid. <laughs> Talk to about bat shit crazy. This is my segment, yeah. right? I can say that. Bat shit crazy. And if you don't see what's happening, then I'm sorry, but you have, let me, uh, in my most eloquent Southern dialect, you have shit for brains. Well, yeah. I mean, they've got a God complex too. They're taking the role that God has on climate and what sun hits the earth into their own hands. It's not going to be a good result. I, it, they have no idea what's going to come when they try to do this well, stuff. Can people talk- resist this digital currency, this digital ID? What what can we do? So this is where it, it actually is complex yet simple. So in, in the future, well, you and I have talked about this, you know, politically state chartered banks are probably going to come to the fold, which actually will be out of the Federal Reserve System. But for right now, tangible assets, I know I shout about it from the rooftops every single week. If there was something else that made sense, I would actually shout about that too. But there's not right now. You've got to not be a digital slave in their digital world. You can't have paper certificates for anything. It's easily manipulatable. You can be, you can have that tokenized and put into this packet and reprogram all the ownership, right, if it's digital. So you buy silver. You buy gold, tangible assets that you can use for barter if need be, but actually is something that's not digital. It gets you out of the system that you can grow and thrive with. 
Okay, so laraopengold.com if anybody's interested. If you just want to get some advice from Kirk or any of the people working with him, he's happy to help with that. Um, I mean, all I can say, all I can say, Kirk, is that uh, we're living it now, right? I mean, as we go into this election, all of this seems to be accelerating. Right. Yeah, 100% living it, breathing it, smelling it. But but don't buy into it. Literally, don't buy into it. Um, look away from the easy choice and say, okay, I, I know it might be a more difficult choice. This is all about convenience, but it's not going to be good for you. It's all about people control. That's what we always have to remember. Yes. Uh, to my last breath, Kirk, you know, I think our new slogan, okay, I'm going to change my T-shirt. This one's going to be hashtag never surrender. It's a good one. Your last one was really good. Your last one was really good too. I can't remember what it was, but it's like it was America 2024 shit for brains. <laughs> yeah, that's what it that's was. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right after You're I sell buy a some lot of them. You're going to sell a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kirk. We will see. No, we won't see you next week because my series on January 6th is coming out. I hope Yay. you put it all awesome. on your website. I hope everybody watches, and um, and we will talk to you soon, okay? You take yeah, care. Sounds good. You bet. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Reset with Kirk Elliott, PhD. Every week, our goal is to increase your knowledge and help melt away any financial anxiety and stress that causes inaction. In any economy and with any presidential administration, there are things we can do to thrive and not just survive. Thanks for going on this journey with us. We look forward to our next time together on the next installment of Reset with Kirk Elliott, PhD. If you have any questions, call us at 720-605-3900 or simply email us at info at kirkelliotphd.com.